here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain. I would like to thank all of my supporters over at patreon.com slash bsmpod for continuing to support me and what I'm doing. I'm very pleased to bring a legend of the Last Stock Legends crew, someone who has been behind some of the more influential mini docs, documentaries, videos in the Melee scene and beyond. This is Gangly, a.k.a. Nick. Nick, it is so wonderful to have you onto the podcast, making Brentos out there. Shout out to Brentos. Very, very happy person. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. First, uh, shout out to Brentos. Brent is a beast. Thank you for the introduction, Brent, to get Jesse and I together. But uh, yeah, Jesse, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. We share uh, some similar roots in the sense that we're both nearby Pennsylvania. I live in Pennsylvania. It looks like you're in New Jersey now, but you would have gone to valley forge university out here when you were in college is that correct yeah so born and raised in jersey i've always always lived here um up in for most of my life up in north jersey about less than an hour from the city or from new york um went to college to uh at the university of valley forge which is kind of you know where i really got introduced into melee and all that and that's kind of another story but yeah lived in pennsylvania for a couple of years now i'm back in back in central jersey and uh, you know, living living my best life out here. Does that make you a Giants fan or an Eagles fan? Uh, that makes me a Yankees fan who <laughs> honestly doesn't watch football. Sorry, guys. No worries. I mean, this is my my second favorite thing to follow along, and what I've been following along with long before melee was the was the Eagles. So. I was at the old Yankee Stadium before they tore that down and built the new one. So I know that generally makes Yankees fans go, oh, good for you. Because I, I did go to the one game when I was up in New York that one time. <laughs> it's a, that's a good piece of history to have on you. So we definitely love covering origin stories here on my podcast at the very least. And so not to poke you too hard in that direction, I do love hearing about how people get into melee for me that's like a, a whole thing that basically involves me finding youtube videos in 2006 when youtube was still very young of mlg sets like you know pc chris versus ken that sort of stuff oh i disappeared well i'm sure i'll come oh there i am i came back, yep, you're back. sorry Welcome for back. the listeners my cameras uh, is a whole thing but anyway I found that, and then it took years and years until 2021 for me to officially put a stamp on things, if you will. So for you, you talked about going to college and getting introduced to the Melee scene there. Is that just a matter of you enjoying the game growing up, and then it gets a little bit more serious in college, or how did you first get into Melee? Yeah, so when I was younger, I mean, I feel like I have a part of the story that almost anyone has, which is... When I got a GameCube, I got Melee. Um, still remember, actually, it was my cousin's grandparents who gave my brother and I a GameCube. The only time they've ever given us a Christmas present was one year. They gave us a GameCube and Melee and never gave us a gift again. And I feel like if that's what you're going to do to a kid, that's the way to do it, right? Um, so, you know, back then, the early 2000s played Melee. It was fun. Not, not my favorite game, um, but I played it. And I had a lot of fun with it. And when Brawl came out, I got super into it. My brother and I, we had two friends, our two best friends growing up. We're all about, about the same age. The four of us would play constantly. And we would mainly play doubles. And we, we actually played Smash in an interesting way. We essentially would uh, make our own story mode. So we would play doubles, me and my friend Anthony, Dan Tuna, if, uh, for anyone in Jersey that may know the greatest Link player to ever touch the game, took a game off Hungrybox on Netplay. 
um, Dantuna and I, we would play against our, our brothers. And every game that we went into, the person who won the last game had to give a reason for why you are playing your characters on the stage you're playing. And so it always turned into something where like I played Lucas, Dantuna played Link, we'd play against a fox and something. And it always turned into this thing of like how one character was the king of the land of the stage we're battling on and we were like the intruders, whatever. It was a really stupid and silly way to play the game, um, but it got us super into it. And we would just play for hours making these dumb little stories about the game. And we all thought we were really good. I mean, that, and that's kind of the part that everyone, everyone thinks, right? So we made a, we made a clan called the Four, the, the four Horsemen. Na na we named after the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Uh, each one of us had a little tag based off of that. And Anthony and Matt, uh, our two friends, my brother and I are two friends, they started hosting events at their school for Brawl. And there was one kid there who would, who would always win. And which we thought was insane because we're like, whoa. I mean, maybe they can be mad, but like they can't beat Anthony. There's no way. And that kind of gave us this idea of like, whoa, maybe there's something out there. And I was kind of the one actually in the group that was like, you know, let me look into this. So I, I started looking up tournaments in the area. And funnily enough, I found Apex 2010. And I said to my brother and our two friends, hey, we should go to this. I mean, odds are one of us is going to win something, right? There's no way that we all lose. And you know what? We didn't go. We ended oh. up, we were, we were ready to go. We were all going to go. We didn't go. And we stopped playing Smash for years. And about five years later, 2015, I'm in college, my freshman year, or 2014, I guess. Yeah, 2014, my freshman year of college. And I am now going to school. And Matt, uh, the oldest of the group, who's a senior at the same college I'm attending, is my RA. And he introduces me to a game similar to Brawl, but it's not. It's called Project M. And he says, Nick, you got to play this with us. It's, it's like Brawl, but it's way better. It's like Melee. And I, at the time, there was a period of time where I had switched from Lucas to Falco. So I'm like, oh, let me try Falco in Project M. I started playing him. I'm like, man, this guy sucks. This character is <laughs> garbage. He's heavy. He can't recover. It's like he's kind of fast, but kind of slow at the same time. I just don't get it. What happened to my down B? He doesn't kick exactly. It anymore. <laughs> um, so I started looking around at videos, and I, I and I actually, funnily enough, found a video of Armada playing Pit in Project M, and so I was like, I'm gonna play Pit. This guy's this guy is so cool. Started getting into Project M for a while, and eventually found the Smash Brothers documentary. And so I feel like that's kind of where I transitioned from this guy who had been exposed to Smash earlier on in life. Um, full transition into, into Doc Kid. Watched the documentary, fell in love with the game, said, how can I get more into this? We started hosting random events at the, at the school, mainly for Project M still. Um, and then, let me think. I want to get the timeline right because I, I think that that summer was... SKTAR 3, SKTAR 3 in, in New Jersey, in Somerset, New Jersey, uh, which actually was a pretty huge event. If I remember correctly, um, Mewtwo King played against Emu Killer in Project M Grand Finals. I didn't watch Melee at all at the time, so I, don't, I couldn't even tell you actually who was there off the top of my head. But I do remember this iconic moment for me, which was watching Chillin' Dude, one of the few Melee players I really knew besides like the greats, playing against 
some Falco I had never seen before. So I just assumed naturally, Chillin' Dude's gonna win. And I watched this Falco back throw into back throw into back throw into back throw into some combo and just kill Chillin' Dude. And I was like, who is this random Falco destroying Chillin' Dude? And that Falco was Zoo. And, and that's gonna be important because while I hadn't watched Melee um, during that time, about six months later was Apex 2015. And I, at that time, was getting into video production at school. And I had to do a video that was essentially just find somebody and interview them, do it on whatever you want. And all my classmates were doing like, oh, how did you get to Valley Forge? How, what's, your, what's your origin story of get, coming to college? And I was like, that's so lame. Yes. Like, there's gotta be a cooler story out there. And so Apex 2015 happened that weekend. And I remember seeing on stream that same Falco who I had watched destroy Chillin' Dude at, at Skatar um, on stream. And people talked about how he, he had moved to Philly recently. And so my school is pretty close, probably like 45 minutes from Philly. I, I found him on Facebook. I messaged Zoo and I was like, hey, I'm a student of Valley Forge. I want to interview you for uh, this, this project. And so long story short, I, I did end up making a video with Zoo. That's kind of like another story altogether. Um, but, but because of that, because of watching Apex, because of seeing Zoo, that is actually what got me to transition from Project M into Melee. Uh, and since then, just I've always been a Falco player. Uh, I've always been the biggest zoo, the biggest zoo supporter out there. And uh, and that's kind of how I got to, to where I ended up. That's awesome. OK, so you know what Machinima is then. If you like making stories with Melee, surely you found some of those on YouTube back in the old days, right? Uh, so when I'm thinking machinimas, I'm thinking like the, the halo, uh, videos, right? Yeah. You're talking about? Some, there were some made for melee. I'm just, just seeing if there's a crossover. That's all. Oh no. I, I wish I had, I, I mean, I would have eaten that up for sure, but no, I didn't know that. But that's okay. Because when we get to the documentary, you, you love telling stories, or at least you seem to have an affinity for that. And it's about smash a game, a franchise that you really like, you really enjoy playing and maybe at first, you're like, oh, that's too bad this isn't about Brawl. But it doesn't matter. By the end of the first episode of the doc, everybody's hooked, right? Yeah. They want to just get into the episode right, two right away. I watched through it all at once, probably, the first three times oh, I saw man. it. I couldn't even, like, quit it. It was, it's, it's still an amazing documentary, even to today. And I think that hits all the points for you, right? Yeah, I mean, I think a part of it is the fact that I was going to school for digital media, and I was... I was being surrounded by, um, you know, video courses and design courses and everything is kind of revolving around this idea of like art and story and film. Like it, it all kind of coincides in, in some place in someone's life. And for me to find the documentary was like, I have inspiration for what I'm actually trying to do in school. And I have an outlet through which I can not only practice my craft, but also find a brand new community to fall in love with. It all happened very nicely for you. Although you talked about not actually going to Apex 2010, you would have missed <laughs> you would have missed out on Armada versus Hungry Box and Grand Finals. As I recall, Apex 2010 was when it was Peach Puff and Armada said, "Okay, well, I'm going to go Young Link next time, I guess." You know, without mm. telling anybody. 
but that was sort of the origin of that. Hungrybox beats him out of 2010, Apex 2010, and then whatever the next time they came across each other was a year or two later brings out the young Link. But you got back into it once you went into school, and I love hearing... Okay, so this is what I love hearing in particular. I think that a lot of people who get into Melee, and this is not a slight on any of them, is that they only have to see the dock or maybe a really hype set or this, that, and the third to sort of make their way into it. But what I love hearing, uh, because this resonates with me, is hearing people talk about, I need multiple points, crucial times in my, in my life, it would seem, where Melee just kind of like, it just pulls me in slightly. I'm like the farther away planet orbiting a sun, and it just it's going to take such a long time to get a, close enough to get really into it. But that's, what, that's sort of what happened to me. So hearing how interviewing Zoo for the video that you wanted to make in school, that was sort of your first step into the Melee community officially and also what kind of turned you from PM's awesome, Brawl is awesome. Melee's just the best, if, if you will. I, I love hearing that. So that interview with Zoo it was just more of a, a one-off thing at the time. No Last Doc Legends in the mix at that time, right? No, yeah. So no Last Doc Legends at the time. And so that that actually served as the jumping off point. Um, so the, the video I had made was a, a small feature on Zoo and Cactuar. It was called The Coolest Thing in the World. And it was just a, a short profile with Zoo and, and Cactus talking about uh, how how everybody has their coolest thing in the world. It's that hobby that drives them to become great. And Melee is that for them. And I don't know if it was a mix of you know, making such a great video that I was inspired by it and wanted to do something great. Or, or maybe it was just, you know, part of the fact that at that point in my life, I was like starting to be surrounded by Smash in all in all um, areas. But I made this video with Zoo. And afterwards, Zoo had messaged me saying, hey, I don't know if you're interested in doing more stuff in the Smash scene. But I have a friend who has this idea that he's been shopping around but doesn't quite have the manpower to do it. Would you be interested in kind of hearing it out? And I, I said, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's do some more stuff. And so he introduced me to a person named Prague, who at the time I had never heard of. I was like, um, I think maybe I've, maybe I've heard him as a caster or something. But no, I had no idea who Prague was. And <laughs> Prague, he puts me in a, in a Facebook chat with, I believe, Brentos was already there. A few people were already there. It might have might have been Prague, Brentos, and maybe Tafakins. Um, and Prague said he had an idea for a project called Game Theory, which kind of small trivia, if and I hope I'm representing this correctly, is the name of the trailer Prague had created for Revival of Melee, which to this day I will actually say is one of the coolest trailers ever made because it's one of the one of the first forms of real narrative pieces in, in Smash. Um, Prague has a very unique sense of story that really comes alive when he's putting together a piece. Um, and Game Theory, that trailer, is such a strange piece for the time it was created compared to other Smash pieces that were being created at the time. Um, that's, it is truly sensational, insp inspirational. I highly recommend people check it out. Um, Kind of back to the Last Doc Legends thing, though. Prague had put together a dock of maybe 30 or 40 sets of Smash history and said, I want to put together a project, a documentary piece on some of these, these uh, you know, historical moments in Smash. 
And I mean, I feel like there's a very long time between the first conversation and actually launching. And I am kind of blanking on a lot of what that in-between is. But what I can tell you is Zoo had introduced me to Prague probably in January or February, end of January, early February. And by that summer, we had formulated the name Last Stock Legends, the fact that we wanted to do a seven episode run and that we wanted to do some level of crowdfunding for this first go. And so I headed up the Kickstarter that summer, my my first summer, or I guess my second summer from college. And I was like, you know what? I have the freedom. I'm not going to take a job this summer. I'm just going to focus on Smash. Let me try and make something out of it. And so I headed up the Kickstarter. Um, I think our goal was like $7,000 or something like that. We got funded and we were like, we're going to go to Evo and we're going to get all the interviews we need. And that was kind of the beginning of it. And obviously, there's a very long history of, of Last Stock Legends beyond that. Um, but that is the, the, the origin story, at least my, my part in it. And you were there from the, from the almost beginning. It sounded like a lot of ideas were just sort of out there or in a Google Doc. But then slowly, over the course of that year, what year was that? 2014? That would have been 2015. 2015, right. And you would have been able to get through all of that down to a Kickstarter, down to, okay, now we now we ride. It's time to actually do something with all of this. And so when the first video goes out, what is that video, by the way? Because off the top of my head, I'm not sure which what the first official release was for Last Stock the, Legends. The first official release for Last Stock Legends, at least the, full, the, the first full release, because we had released a couple different teaser pieces, but the first one was Ken versus Bomb Soldier. Um, which oh, had nice. aired, I believe, aired at Pound 2016, if that was the year. I think that's the correct year. But we actually aired it live after or before Top 8 or or after Top 8. I forget exactly what it was. But it's funny because uh, the for the first season of Last Doc Legends, I think the thing that, that actually got complimented the most about the first season was the title sequence. People loved the little uh, <laughs> the, the motion, se the, the title sequence of the characters like being still in the air, like drifting apart. And so I want to give just a, a, a very quick shout out. Very important, though, is John Cartagena, Cartega, key member of Last Stock Legends that I think uh, is probably got the least attention out of anyone in, in the project. John was vital in all of the edits. He, he looked over all of my work. Any piece that I had a hand on, John probably had two. Uh, and he almost entirely made that title sequence in, I think, one night, two nights. It was no literally way. He he had started it. He had started the sequence and it was like kind of stuck. And we had to go to Pound. And he was living in either Jersey or Ohio, something at the time. He f came to Valley Forge, stayed at, in my dorm, and. In a few days, I forget exactly what the time frame was, had made that title sequence as we were going to pound and then sent the title sequence over to Rebel, Rebel Durso, uh, who was the she was the, the, the main editor on that project. Um, and that the rest was history. The rest was, you know, rendered out and, and aired at pound. And I hope I'm remembering this story correctly and i hope it's as dramatic as i'm remembering it because in my head it's it was very fast-paced and stressful and i hope i didn't just make that entire thing up but i i do distinctly remember 
John making that title sequence just before Pound, which was when we were going to air. It was uh, it was definitely a stressful time. I mean, if you're listening, there's only one way to confirm, John. I'm just I'm just saying I'm just saying. You know, it reminds me of Melee, and it reminds me of the brilliance of being a procrastinator slash being very busy as well. Okay, let's not let's let's not pretend that all of you in the Last Stock Legends crew are doing nothing but working on this project. People are in school, people have full time jobs, obligations, all that stuff. And so, I love the idea that in the way that Melee was so quickly developed and became the game that it was, that there's just little isms like that where you have to do something quickly and it turns out to be more or less iconic because it's one of the things that I, I skip a lot of different title sequences or intros, especially on Netflix. I love the skip intro button, but I can't skip the intro for Last Stock Legends. I can't skip the intro for a, a few other things, but it's on the list. And to think that that was made in such a short time, whatever the time frame exactly was, that's just awesome. I love that. Yeah, shout out to John. John is amazing. So it airs over a really big tournament because I think, I think pound 2016, as I'm thinking about it, cause I was not heavily involved at the time. I was just uh, a casual. So I don't know this because I was there. I'm remembering that pound 2016 was the first pound event back in a long time, in a long time because it had dropped off for a little while. And then it sort of got resurrected with VGBC as I recall, but it doesn't really matter. Pound 2016 was was a major, and there were a lot of big competitors there. So you would have had a decent audience for for that video to air out. I'm sure reception was great, and then it goes up on YouTube, and people are going <gasps> more, 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 right? More or less. Yeah. Um. I. I mean, I. To be honest, a lot of what happened when we were actually watching it live is kind of a blur to me now. Um. It was a very, like I said, it was a very stressful period of time. We're, we're putting everything together very quickly. We're also working the event um, because of what, one thing I think a lot of people don't quite realize is that we did this initial Kickstarter for $7,000 or whatever, whatever it was exactly. And what that provided for us was a weekend at Evo. That was one weekend to rent gear, to get all of our flights, to try and schedule interviews. And then after that, it didn't, that money, there was nothing left. And if you work in video production, you'll know $7,000 to make seven videos, all of which were ranging from 10 to 50 minutes, is not even close to being enough money. It doesn't give you enough equipment, it doesn't give you enough time, and it definitely doesn't justify the amount of work you're putting into it. Right. Um, so we needed to figure out a way to actually make these pieces. And Evo gave us a very, uh, a very good jumping off point. We got a lot of stuff done there. We had our PPMD interview. We had Phil and homemade waffles. We had TOEF. Um, there were a couple others I'm struggling to remember off the top of my head. But a lot of the interviews actually ended up not having happening at Evo and would happen at different tournaments throughout the year. And and that's because, and this is mainly due to the work of Prague and Revel, we, rather than just going to events to shoot interviews, began working essentially as a production team for events. Um, we started creating top eight videos, which at the time wasn't really a thing in Melee, unless I'm, you know, misremembering. I think we were like one of the first organizations to really start going to events and making 
on-site content like interviews and top uh, top eight videos and behind the scenes footage and things like that. And it started actually at Big House in, in 2015. And Rob uh, brought us on, brought us on to make a documentary on uh, Big House 2015. And it also allowed us to have the time to grab more interviews we needed to supplement our videos. Okay, so Big House 5, I, I've watched videos for that before. Are you saying that Last Stock Legends crew are behind those videos that I think are on the Michigan Melee channel or a Big House channel or something like that? I don't think it's on the Last Stock Legends channel, is it? There is, I, I know there's at least one video in uh, the, on the Last Stock Legends channel, which is the Last Stock Legend or the Big House 5 documentary where we follow Rob and Lucky. <clears throat> Lucky. We also actually, fun fact about that documentary, follow another player who does not appear in the, the documentary at all. They were, we, we completely cut them out of the edit, actually, after following them <laughs> for the entire weekend. Fun what fact. A compliment. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have a documentary made about me. Uh, this is my episode. This is my time to shine. <laughs> What 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 was happening? Yeah, it was an interesting storyline. We Doofy. followed actually. It was a an open bracket player. It was just a random player who typically went two and two at their locals, and we wanted to kind of mix that into the edit and see how that fit. Um, by the end of it, it actually we just felt like it wasn't compelling enough, or we didn't have enough footage, or whatever it was. It didn't quite fit the feel and tone of the documentary in the way that we had hoped. And so it ended up just never making it to the final cut. Mm, Should have cried more. That's, that's the player's lesson there. You need to be more compelling. <laughs> True that. It is. Okay. So you, you, you bring up the whole editing thing now. Now rebel sounds like the, one of the main editors, you're taking a lot of footage. So of course I have to guess it hurts your heart to see certain things just be tossed aside, hit the floor. Right. So the thing about Last Stock Legends was we all kind of had roles, but typically they were rotating. Um, for instance, the Wombo Combo episode was, I, I always say that that was my episode. That was the one that I... Directed. I did, uh, yeah, I directed the Wombo Combo episode. I did all the interviews with Zoo. Um, and then we would send it off to other people on the team. For instance, John and Rebel would kind of take what I'd cut and then said, actually, let's just get rid of five minutes of what you had put in there because it's kind of boring. Let's just cut it out. This makes it better anyway. And, they, and they're, they're correct in doing so. Um, but that would kind of change. I know if I remember correctly, Prague was the main editor for the Mango Armada episode. I had done the Kage Mango episode. Rebel was, the, was always the final cut. Everything that we did always went to Rebel in the end and she would... Um, kind of make the final edits to to tighten it up and i know she she also was the key editor in multiple episodes that i just i couldn't can't remember the specifics of but all that to say it you still you definitely do still feel that because you spend so much time in these interviews we would have you know 20 30 40 minute interviews sometimes use five minutes of it it's just impossible to fit all of it into a piece and most of the time, if you did, nobody would watch it. Uh, so you always have to find that balance of how do we make this compelling, but also how do we really show enough of the footage that we feel like we're doing justice to the you know person we're we're interviewing. Right, the subject. So are those are those interviews somewhere? Are they on a private file sharing place? And 
just need enough poking and prodding to hit some kind of channel in the future, or are they just totally gone? So what I would say is all of our interviews are still existent. Actually, they're sitting in front of me right now. Uh, uh, they are very... Doing that to me. They're very close, and I can't say for certain that we are making something with them, but I can say for certain that we would like to use many of the pieces we have actually shot in the past and um, are waiting for the right opportunity to do so. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that. Okay, so this, this touches along the lines of as things start to draw to a close. Now, I don't want to put too much of a rush on you to sort of ignore sort of the height of Last Stock Legends and all of the amazing content that was being put out. But uh, as per usual, with all things, eventually has to end. You eventually have to move on. I mean, I think in my head, without knowing anything, Prague deciding to move on from the Melee community, because that's my perception of it, would that also mean that sort of was the first domino to fall? Or was it just the first person who says, I'm graduating college now, I'm getting a job, and uh, yeah, I need to be done with this? So it didn't quite work like that. Um so for a while, Last Doc Legends was the the primary gig for for both Rebel and Prague, um, and they were the you know the, the figureheads of LSL. Most people knew them if they thought LSL. And um, going into 2017, we were all still working you know pretty hard on LSL stuff. We were I think we had just done Genesis that year. We had worked with Red Bull on a couple different pieces. Um, and this is the part of the timeline where I would say I was I was involved uh, in, in events, but I wasn't necessarily involved in like the spearheading and like the main conversation. So I don't want to I don't want to put words in anyone else's mouth. Uh, what I will say, though, is that. One of the last events we worked, actually, the last event that we all worked together was Gommel in 2017, where we had done a piece for Red Bull called A New Level. It was a three piece documentary on Tio Joe, um, the Canadians, which was Kirbikaze, Nun, and Kage, and then Leffen. This was one of, this was, you know, uh, the story of Leffen at Gommel. It was after he returns from all the visa issues, he goes to Gommel, he wins, and then, well, Gommel is just his tournament. So how do we kind of tell the story of, of Leffen, Leffen at Gommel? Anyway, we do this three-piece, and I've got to say it was by far the best piece of content Last Doc Legends ever put out. To this day, I think that the, the T.O. Joe piece in particular was the best documentary I've ever had a hand in working on. Um, and, and to be frank, though, it, it did quite poorly. It, the viewership of it was much lower than we anticipated, much lower than, than uh, I know, well, I'm assuming less than what Red Bull anticipated. And I, don't, I can't say that that actually had an effect on anything, um, but I can at least speak for myself that it actually was quite discouraging. Um, we worked really hard on that piece, and I felt like we had a project that, I mean, it, it blew all standards out of the water compared to what we had made up to that point. So it definitely really hurt that it just did not do well. Um, and, and at that time, Prague and Rebel were both offered full-time positions doing something else. And when they took those, we were all still interested in doing LSL, but 
we kind of lost some of the contacts that we had for some gigs. Uh, we realized that we aren't charging enough, so it's hard to justify like working the rates that we're getting. It's impossible to get gigs if we are charging the rates that we really want. And so it kind of came to a place where it was just like, we're not done. We just don't really know how to do this anymore. Um, so I guess I, I don't want to say that that Prague moving on was like the, you know, domino that really led to the downfall of LSL. What I would say is that it was it almost felt like a gentle close where we all wanted to keep doing it. We just didn't quite know how to keep doing it and justify the amount of time we spent on it. This is typical. If you are a familiar Melee listener, viewer, community member, even if you're a casual, you don't have to go very far into everything around Melee and around Smash because there's no developer support. And without that, there's not really like a massive waterfall of inflow of money coming in that eventually hits to important places and important groups, important people. You sort of have to make a lot of this work yourself. I have a little tiny group of people who support me through the Patreon, like I mentioned earlier, and that's really, really fun. That's a big blessing for me, but I would I would still expect to be doing this at no cost though. I just eventually opened it up and said, hey, if anybody wants to do this, they can do it, like no pressure. But for you all, for Last Stock Legends, there was the Kickstarter and then everybody kind of assumes, oh, they're good now, so you know, if there were people saying, oh, do we do another round of that? Do we try to, like you said, do we try to get higher rates from people who are running these running these tournaments in the first place? And they go, ha ha, what? For filming crew? No, I, I, need, I barely have enough to pay the tournament winner, much less pay for a documentary crew and so on. It is so hard, so hard to have a quote unquote job within Smash and have it be actually what it's supposed to be, not just the pinching pennies kind of a job but one that justifies the work that you're doing i i think that you're not really putting a hammer on the head enough of in all of the time spent on making each video from start to finish but i'm sure it was hundreds and hundreds of man hours just kind of all down the drain with the hope that hey the one thing we can hang our hat on is the is is the product itself it's amazing this is going to get a lot of views this is going to continue to push things in a good direction and so when the first one with to joe being a video where it's great but then the views don't match what it's supposed to be what the expectation is for everybody i'm sure that just that's a small little thing. And then other and people moving on, that's a small thing. The gentle closing of the door does illustrate a good picture to me of kind of what happened there. But even 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 still, what I like hearing is that it wasn't somebody trying to say, We need to like make this happen no matter what or where anything. I think that a lot of people in, in the LSL group, including yourself, seem to take more of a healthy perspective of, you know what? This is great. And what we're what we have is something that a lot of content creators around Melee would love to have, but we need to actually respect our own time and be able to move on if that means we can <laughs> if we can make make money that we need to support ourselves, support our families, or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and you know what? I think a part of it was that we didn't want to drive LSL into the ground, right? We wanted LSL to be remembered in a way that we felt was great. And at the time, Around around that time, we actually had announced that we wanted to do season two of Last Talk Legends. And we actually had a small Patreon set up. 
and in our mind, we thought, well, Kickstarter did great last time. Maybe we can do a Patreon and, you know, make it work that way. And we actually just felt like we appreciate the support. And we know that, I mean, a dollar from anyone is, a, is, is incredible because, you know, when people put their support into a creator, I mean, it is valuable in many ways, both for the confidence of the creator, for the, the growth of the community, and for the, the resources required to make great content. But we, we came to a place where we said, this just, it's not enough. And we, we're not gonna be able to do what we want to do with, this, with the, the budget that we have. And so we had to end up closing our Patreon. And you know that's kind of a whole nother thing in, in itself because we, we just, we didn't wanna burn all of our bridges with the community and either not produce on a reasonable timeline or not produce to the standard of excellence that we felt we had set up up to that point in time. Um, and the thing is though, it, it, I think the fact that we did that allowed us to, while we did close the door gently, we kind of left it slightly ajar because we want to be able to keep making things. And even last summer, um, I had actually kind of brought LSL back a little bit and produced that, that one that one off piece on Lucky. Uh, it only takes one because we, we want LSL to still exist. We want it to be able to thrive and, and live in the Melee community and the Smash community. It's more that we just we need to make sure that it's done in a healthy and sustainable way because we care about the content we make and we need it to be good. And that piece that you were talking about, by the way, with Lucky, I really, really enjoyed that. It was that it was a surprise for me to see that just sort of like pop up on the timeline or Twitter and I go to Brentos right away and be like, ah, this is awesome because I had already interviewed by this point. And actually, we did a couple of SCL previews together. The uh, Slippy, sorry, it was renamed <laughs> to the Summit Champions League, which is with uh, Beyond the Summit team. Slippy thing. Oh, but you know what? This is a good. This is a good transition. How much do you actually keep up with Melee now that you've sort of taken a step back? And we could talk about what you stepped into. And I love hearing the whole door open thing. A lot of moving pieces here, but. What is your relationship with Melee like right now? Yeah, so to be to be completely honest, I I actually I hardly watch much Melee. Um, the times I'll, I'll still play Melee. I'll I'll occasionally hop on Slippy and lose every match and get really. I still get just as angry as if I was playing every day and expected to be good. Um, <laughs> that's that's something I can't get rid of. That's for sure. Uh, but for, uh, I mentioned my friend Dantuna, who who still plays every now and then. Um, he, he used to play on Slippy quite regularly and it would enter the online event. So, you know, we would talk about the game and we would play whenever we're together, things like that. I would still say, like, I I have Melee as a social experience that when I'm in the midst of Melee players, I talk about Melee for sure. Uh, I don't really watch all that much. I would say last year I went to a couple locals that, that started up um, in the midst of COVID, of all things that were uh, at a, a venue that was right by my house. Um, so I would still attend random things, catch up with, with New Jersey Melee players. I would still, I'm, I'm still kind of friendly and in the community in that sense, but I haven't been active since late 2017 was the last time I actually entered a tournament. Um, Rise for all the New Jersey listeners out there, which was uh, Risen's last tournament. Probably not a big deal for any other listener unless you're actually from New Jersey who played from 2015 to 2017. Wonderful event. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really don't keep up with it all that much anymore, except mainly as a social tool to keep up with friends. 
And so when I mention uh, all the uh, all the different things that have been running through Slippy, I mean, what I really like is that it's Slippy continues to draw people in, and we also have all these new people like myself who are trying to not only get into Melee a little bit more, but also like make something with it. You know, artists, video people, podcasters like myself, and so on and so on. And I think a lot of them would look back to the documentary by Samox. They would look back to Last Stock Legends. And they would look back to, even now, uh, Walt, turned down for Walt, is someone who I'd look back to on for videos. And I go, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then there's like a whole, there's a whole pantheon now of, of, of Smash content. But Last Stock Legends continues to be that. And so seeing that piece with Lucky, it only takes one. The Tony Hawk, like the skating Tony Hawk stuff to kind of bring those two concepts and ideas together to really help drive home to anybody who likes sports like you know melee or any other video game it can be that sort of same experience where if you do something really cool if it's on a screen or if it's in real life if you do something really cool you just want to keep doing it and so it was yeah really cool to see that you were the one who more or less tried to put that out i did yeah so that was um around the time that I had actually gotten all the footage, all the archive footage, I uh, was looking through to kind of get an inventory of what we had. And when I stumbled on the Lucky Piece, we had originally wanted to put this Lucky Piece out as a part of season two for Last Stock Legends. And so we actually, I, I'm not gonna say, oh, maybe I can say, I can say this. We also have a PPMD interview that was supposed to be part of Last Stock Legends season two. That is probably one of the most valuable interviews in existence that has not been made into anything. And it's right. something we, we, we are still keeping on the table as, as a potential content piece. But um, when I was kind of taking inventory of what we have and what we can do, I watched this lucky piece and said, well, if we're not gonna do season two, what can I make with this? And uh, yeah, it turned, turned out to be a fun little piece. I think it you know, has parts of it that are maybe a bit dated and maybe not the exact representation of what Lucky thinks right now, but I think it kind of gives you a small look into that window of time where in 2017, what was Lucky actually thinking about the game? And it, it, it's great because, you know, to a certain degree, Melee does really transcend time because it's such like a conceptual game. Uh, and to, to hear these thoughts from, from five years ago, from four years ago, whenever, and to see how they compare with the subject matter he's talking about, which is, what, maybe seven years even before that, it's just, it's fascinating to hear how these concepts just jump from time to time and still kind of apply themselves no matter what the context is. Um, so that was a really fun piece. And also, I will say, um, the most stressful part about that piece was, and I had many calls with John about this, was how do I make a title sequence that can compare to season one? That was the hardest part. I was like, I can't make la I can't make a last Doc Legends piece <laughs> without a really cool title sequence. Uh, and I probably spent more time on that title sequence than I did on the actual edit. I was not <laughs> nearly as fast as John. <laughs> that still turned out really good, though. So good for you. Thank That's you. Awesome. Thank you. Because that was going to be my answer. like, did John? Did, did John? John, uh, <laughs> but at least you know, still helping out a little bit, consulting, if you will, all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you liked how it ultimately ended up turning out. That's good to hear. And yes, you're talking about all this stuff that's still that's still out there, hidden but out there. And there's a desire 
not just from yourself, but from other people who have been involved with Last Doc Legends, either from the beginning or over the years and wanting to make things happen with it. But I think for the theme that I'm hearing is, is that it's going to happen on its own time, firstly, and it's going to, it's going to happen not in the way that you originally planned, but like some of this stuff is just too good to let go completely. Like you, you can, you're fine with keeping it under wraps for the most part for a longer time, but you can't quite let it go. Yeah. I would say if Last Talk Legends were to come back in the same capacity we, we existed before, we it would happen responsibly. That is probably the best way I can describe um, what it what it would take. It would have to take a responsible return because, you know, th our lives are just different now. I was a 19-year-old a college kid when we first started Last Talk Legends, and now I'm married with a kid and another on the way. It's just my, the life is different, and we have to kind of act in a way that makes the most sense for us. And and that's for all members of the team. We all we all would love to be making content again. I don't think there's any part of Last Doc Legends <clears throat> that genuinely hates what we did and and doesn't want any part of it. It's just that, like I said earlier, the, the opportunity has to be uh, right for us. And how about this? So there's footage that was taken however long ago of basketball legends or baseball legends. Oh, baseball, right. You talked about baseball earlier. Just think about the times that people just film Babe Ruth in a Yankees uniform and they think to themselves, gee, what's going to happen to this? And it just gets used, even if even if over and over again, but it gets used for really great pieces that get made decades and decades later. I can imagine, you, you, okay, so first of all, I'm a father as well, got two, got two kids, so good for you. When those kids are all grown and you look around and you go, hey, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Last Doc Legends, you know, 20-ish years later, what does it look like? Ugh, I don't even know if this is going to be, <gasps> this is so good. And the new Melee heads are going to love this because Melee, to me, can't possibly die. It can be, it will be around, in my opinion, for forever. And so what if that just sort of happens? Can you picture Last Doc Legends in 2020? Uh, no, not 2020. It would be 2020, like 40-something. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Uh, what what I would say is uh, I don't know about 2040, but I I will say this idea of we I think there's a lot of us in Last Talk Legends that believe in the investment of melee, the long term health of the game. Um, I mean, as long as as long as people want to really play a game that is difficult and expressive and challenges you, and is also just a medium for many other parts of your life. I mean, Melee is always going to be alive. And I can tell you, and I want to be careful with how much I'm saying, because there, we, we've had conversa conversations internally about things we want to do. Um, there is a world where footage that we have is more valuable than it is right now. And while it may not be feasible to make something right now, in five, ten years, maybe Melee is in a place where that footage is not only valuable to us, not only valuable to the community, but also valuable to someone who uh, is interested in making something out of it uh, and maybe has the means to do so in one way or another, probably with money. Um, that is a big part of it, yes, <laughs> money. And, and I, I actually do think, though, there is a world where there are things that we have collected in the past that could be valuable to someone else and that they could be reused um, or even used for the first time just out of this archive. And in the meantime, I don't want to 
hoard all of our footage. I don't want to hoard everything that we have. And I and I can say this that and again I want to be careful. I I have been actively looking to use um, some of the pieces that we've collected in the past, so some of the things we've shot in the past to make more content. Um, and a lot of that, it just comes down to finding the right uh, partnership with, with organizations or finding the right premise for uh, an actual video um, or even just having the free time to do it and likewise for the entire team. Um, I would just say that there are a lot of things we want to do. And there's a lot of things we have that we can do things with. It's just trying to get the stars aligned so that it makes sense for us to do it. There we go. Okay, so talked a lot of shop and also poked and prodded you very hard about what you're trying to do in the future, but what are you doing in terms of a career now? Because I want to make sure that we don't miss out on the fact that technically you are uh, willing and able to accept different commissions and projects as a video person. I was about to say director of photography. That could be a good title, but I, what I'm saying is DMs are open more or less. Am I understanding you correctly? Yeah, so I, I am a full-time freelancer. I freelance doing graphic design and video. Um, I've been freelance since when? I guess 20, uh, end of 2018, end of 2019, sometime around then. A little, little bit after Last Stock Legends, I picked up a full-time job for about a year and was like, I really hate working for other people. Uh, who aren't Last Stock Legends. And so I decided to just go freelance, and I've been doing it ever since. Uh, so right now, yeah, I'm a freelance graphic designer, videographer. I, I've gotten to do a lot of work in esports, which is really fun. I got to work for Golden Guardians for a couple different projects, which has been amazing. Uh, a couple other couple other projects that you, you might have seen here and there. But um, apart from being a freelance designer and videographer, one of the things I do on the side, which I really love doing, is uh, my active involvement in the teamfight tactics scene. Um, primarily I make video content in that space, uh, interviews, or I do short form guides like on TikTok and things like that. And, uh, I also, I love numbers. So I do some analytical content in, in that space as well. And yeah, I've been doing that for about a year now and trying to figure it out along the way. Didn't really know quite what I was doing, but I'm having a lot of fun doing it. That's awesome. And especially hearing that you've been able to stay freelance through the pandemic, because that's not a small feat, you know, continue to get work. Not to say that the work isn't out there. I'm sure, especially at, at first, it was probably a bunch of requests to be all like, in these uncertain times, and then sneak in somebody's company logo into the side of that. But what I'm saying is, is that that's very cool it's that you've been able to kind of stick through it in a time where, yeah, I mean, it was probably a little bit uncertain for you. So good for you, Nick. That's really cool. And I love hearing that you still get to do some some Melee stuff. But you were talking about TFT there. Wait, FT. No, it's T TFT. TFT. Yeah, TFT. yeah, you're right. You were talking a little bit about analytical content. That makes me laugh just because there was discourse about a month ago in the Melee Twitter sphere, which is always fun, about how nobody cares about watching analytical content. I did see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so fun. And I think you understand that no matter what, what community it is, there's going to be people who really like analytical content, but they're going to be a really small group of people. And they're certainly not going to last very long. We all have short attention spans. So you were talking about doing really short form stuff, even on TikTok, which I know has to be less than three minutes or whatever. So compared to making a 40 minute, like very engaging documentary, 
or a three minute TikTok sort of a thing. Would you say, especially now that it's something that you want to do for TFT, this is something that you, you say to yourself, I, I, I could do this for something else, but I really just specifically like doing it for TFT. Um, I, I would say, I, I mean, I love doing it for TFT. I love all of my content in TFT because honestly, it's, it's the game I play the most right now. It's a community that I, I really love. Um, and also it's, it is young. And a lot of the things that people are making are the first time this community has ever seen things, uh, these things. And it's, it actually kind of reminds me of the melee scene in, in that sense, because I always felt like at Last Rock Legends, you know, I, it's not like we were making the greatest things in the world, but we, we were making things that the melee scene hadn't quite had before, apart from the Smash documentary, which, which Sam, Sam Ux had, had done an amazing job with. Um, but when we were making pieces, we were trying to figure out how can we make this different than what's ever been done before. And in TFT, I, I kind of have, have a similar feeling because I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out what content would propel this scene further. Um, what is actually helpful in the eyes of some people and what's different than, you know, like YouTube highlight content, which is valuable in its own sense because it, it caters to the casual viewer. It easily gives people access to the game. Um, but I've always been interested in like, how can I, how can I just make something cool? How can I make something cool? How can I learn while doing it? Try out these new skills, this new program, whatever it is along the way. And it actually kind of goes back to something you mentioned before. Um, and I forget what you, would, what you had said exactly, but I remember it made me think this thought, which is that the reason Melee is so cool is because, or at least the reason I thought Melee was so cool was because even when I wasn't playing, putting my all into Melee, it felt like everything I did in life, I was doing through Melee. I was learning how to edit through Melee. I was learning how to interview people i was in, or learning how to tell stories i was learning how to design all everything that i was doing in my life i was doing through this game which completely altered the the course of my life and led me to learn these skills that i now use every day in my in my work and so i i treat tft in a similar vein where i was never on air talent before i never worked doing interviews um, and I would actually say I really struggled with it. I mean, even in my earlier interviews, I would script out every single question to the T. I would, I would read off my question exactly how I had written it. I would prepare all of my intros and conclusions so that I knew exactly how I wanted to say it because I felt like I couldn't speak off the cuff. And I wanted to learn how, how can I do that? How can I be more comfortable in conversation with people? How can I actually listen and asking engaging questions. And I mentioned this before we started the interview, but I actually think Jesse is one of the best at that that I've ever heard. Uh, and it's actually a, truly an inspiration that I wish I had found much earlier than I, than I have. Very kind, um, thank you. But I, I just think it's something special to be able to take a game, to be able to take a community, to be able to take a hobby and actually channel the other parts of your life through it in a healthy way. And obviously there's, there has to be a certain level where you know, there are some boundaries, but as a creative, I think that learning to get better at your trade through something you love and still have a healthy relationship with it is one of the best ways to improve at, at anything that you do.
before I started doing the podcast stuff, I didn't know how to podcast and I didn't know how to do anything else related to putting something out there other than, of course, you just take out your smartphone, right? And you press record and then you just upload that. that, that that's how it works, right? None of this big camera or microphone shenanigans. So when I first started the podcast, it was because I wanted to talk about Melee that I taught myself how to do all that stuff with help, of course, of course. But I wouldn't normally do something without first knowing it very intimately and saying, okay, now I feel confident enough to take a step forward. And just to help you out in terms of the talking about stuff, you've already heard it from me when we first started talking and throughout our conversation here. I'm not always the most uh, confident speaker because I feel like I stutter a lot and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to get better at that and I wanted to learn how to do stuff around Melee. So I love hearing that it was the same thing for you. You went to school for video stuff as well, but you really cut your teeth on doing content, videos, filming, and also doing the directing stuff, you know? How cool is it that you get to have a director title on even just one Last Sock Legend video? But you learned how to get to all that stuff by the passion that you have for Melee, which is this game is so sick and so on. So TFT's lucky to have you conclusion and <laughs> i'm really excited to to see any or, or or whatever it ends up being for last stock legends in the future i'll be patient i'm planning on being here for when that happens so no matter how long it takes you're not waiting until 2040 it sounds like but even if it's 2040 i, I will wait and so to get in the direction of closing i want to continue to show love to brentos who got to write for pg stats in the past couple of weeks for all of all of this ranking of the melee player stuff and i love hearing different people's people's perspective on this whole ranking question because melee players especially they really do like their their rankings they like saying that they're top 30 top 50 top 100 but it's been kind of hard to do rankings when you have an online space sometimes only online sometimes offline and online and I know that doesn't really concern you all that much since you're not actively playing Melee and not attending a whole lot of tournaments. But when you hear that a group of people has decided, you know what, Mango gets the nod for being in the S-plus tier for 2021 when they're only looking at the offline events that happened, was, what are the, some of the first things you think of when you hear, oh, Mango number one again? So... As long as I've been in the melee scene, uh, I, I think I had a similar trajectory as a lot of people with Mango, which is that kind of watch the doc and you're like, ah, who is that jerk? I don't <laughs> want him to win. And then you watch one tournament of Mango playing and you're like, I want this guy to win forever. I don't want him <laughs> to ever lose, ever. Um, Mango in many ways is, and I don't want to say the bloodline of melee because I believe that melee would exist without, without, you know, um, many, many of the key figures who obviously have been incredible to the scene, but I, I do believe that Melee is such a beautiful game that where Void is, there will be someone to take its place. And I do want to say, actually, just a quick shout out. I think Turned Out for Walt is one of those um, successors of, of LSL in, in one way of you know, creating Walt. great, creating great content in the space where we just couldn't continue to do that. Um, so, yeah, quick shout out to Walt. Walt is to Mango or well is to lsl as mango is to something there's there's an analogy there walt is uh, mango they are the same <laughs> <laughs> uh so what i would just say is i hope mango wins forever and i hope mango is always considered the best and even if mango isn't the best 
he's still going to be the best. I mean, Mango is Mango is an incredibly vital part of the scene. Um, fun to watch and is there so that the fans keep coming, you know, in droves. So I'm happy to hear that Mango is still continuing to be uh, a strong presence in the scene. Like I said, I haven't honestly watched all that much. So I wish I had a stronger opinion on it from like the analytical standpoint. But what I would say is as a fan of the game for many years, it makes me feel happy to know that Mango is still kicking it with uh, with all the new with all the new kids. When you think of a new kid, is Zane considered very, very new to you still? Um, you know, I think uh, I would say no, probably not at this point, but mainly because uh, I have a an unnamed project that I've been shopping around for a long time on, on Zane that hasn't quite been picked up. So I feel like I'm intimately invested in Zane. Every time we talk about something, you just talk to me about an, yet another thing you have in the works. Ugh, I'm being teased so hard, but no, continue, continue. Yeah, I, I would say uh, Zane is one of, I mean, Zane is the doc kid, right? When fiction said that, it would take what was it three years for for someone to watch the doc and then become top 100 zane and i think face roll were the two only players who did it exactly in the timeline that fiction had actually predicted which is just a beautiful piece of melee trivia that people were actually you know that uh in tune with the game and the the projection of this the skill of new players that they were actually able to predict that um so I feel like even though Zane is technically like the new school player, he's like so iconic in the scene now that it feels weird to say he's on the up and up. And maybe it's, that's just because COVID has made the world feel so much longer, made time feel so much longer in the last two years that to me, because the last event I attended was actually Genesis where Zane won. Uh, oh, that's so that so cool. So to me, it was like Zane won and then time stopped because because of covid so to me it feels like zane is just a veteran in the scene <laughs> everybody forgets that summit happened in february of 2020 poor hungry box or maybe not poor hungry i want enough events zane winning genesis 7 was really really cool though so okay new definitely not necessarily new school anymore because started playing in 2013 2014 so that's been a long time but it's almost impossible, right, to think of anyone who is making waves in Melee who hasn't been playing the game for at least five years, at least, if not closer to 10, because that's how long you have to play. But the one player that comes to mind, have you heard of Ingen? No, I haven't. Okay, so Ingen allegedly started playing Slippy Online last summer, not as soon as it came out, last summer or the beginning of 2021, somewhere in that time frame. And in, in December of this year, of this past year, I should say, excuse me, I'm still in 2021, by the way, this, is, this, whole, this whole new year thing is still very fresh for me, even though it's February, but Smash World Tour, the whole championship stuff, you probably heard about that, but Engen was, was able to qualify for the world finals through Japan, as, as well as AMSA and one other player from Japan. But Ingen is is so brand new to Melee. When when Ingen started playing Slippy online in 2021 or whatever it was, that's when they he first started actually playing Melee. Had never played Melee up to that point. One of the few exceptions of somebody who 
doesn't need to play for five plus years in order to be able to do something as cool. Because Japan, for the record, is is a very good country as, as it comes to their their high level melee players. Tof says that so often that I have to pay respects to Tof, who says it about as about as many chances as he gets. He always talks up Japan and, and well deserved so. There are really good players out there, but Ingen managed to qualify past so many other different players that you would say, oh, that player should go, that player should go. But Ingen finished second or third at that at that regional to qualify for Smash World Tour Finals. So maybe there's hope for all of these Slippy kids. That's what they're called. For all the people who started playing Melee after Slippy came out, maybe there is hope for them. But I think the most, the most majority of them will only get to the level of being a top 100-ish player, probably closer to 2025 or whatever. But it is still going to be around and still going to be a thing. Will you play Ranked when it comes out? Mm, man you know what I, i'll say this when i whenever i do get into melee i tend to get really like the last the last period of time the last stretch i got into melee i was like i want to come back to melee but i want to play link and i got really into i was super active on like the link discord i was asking questions all the time i entered uh, a friday night melee it might be called something like that so east friday coast fridays. Night. let's go east coast friday yeah east coast fridays uh and i was like i there's no way i don't beat someone with link i like yeah, I lost. Uh, I lost two very close two O's. Yeah, really close two O. Super close. Uh, yeah, yeah, super close. Uh, but whenever I get back into melee, I always, I always feel like I put a lot into it and spend a lot of time on it. So I, I definitely think there's a there's a world where when I, the next time I get back into melee, I'll probably get into it, you know, pretty hard. And if ranked is out then, then I'll probably be into that as well. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to see what that looks like. And, you know, Fizzy, take your time. You've already done enough for the melee scene, but I'm really excited for whenever that happens. And hopefully for you, since since you exist sort of towards the outer edge of the sphere of melee, hopefully for you that'll go by super quickly. But for me, I will still be out here podcasting and doing the thing. So it is agonizing. But watching my kids grow, by the way, that does help time go very fast. They grow so fast, don't they? Yeah, they. Oh, what's the phrase? The The days are no, the hours are long the no the days are are long but the years are short yes. right is that, is that the phrase let's yeah and that. it feels it's something along those lines and i feel that i feel that idea whatever the actual phrase is uh time as as much as covid has slowed time down having a child has sped it up twice as much yes and um, like i was saying earlier i still feel like i'm in last year but i look around and i go oh right it's february of 2022 2022 but I think we've gotten to the end of where we need to be. We've been able to cover a lot of different subjects, but we have not been able to tell the people where they can find you when they need somebody to video the crap out of their stuff and make them look really good, have some nice graphics, that sort of thing. And I, I wish I could say I'm, I'm looking for somebody to do the graphic thing, but not, not, not for the podcast for now. But, you know, we'll just put, 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 that in a, put a pin in that for now. Please, sure, sure. Nick, tell the people where they can find you. Well, you can find me uh, on Twitter at gangly underscore. You can also shoot me an email or visit my website at njdpasquale.com or shoot me an email at nick at njdpasquale.com. Other than that, you can also find my YouTube channel where you can uh, check out some of the TFT content that I've been putting out over the last year or so. That's uh, gangly TFT on YouTube. 
And uh, I believe that's all my main social media. I mean, I guess you could technically friend me on Facebook, but let's just use the uh, platforms I've already described. You have described uh, your Twitter, your email, your website, your TFT YouTube channel. That's enough. That is so much stuff. So many different places where we can get more of Nick. So one more time, Nick, thank you so much for joining me on Bottom of the Smash Mountain. And Jesse, thank you so much for having me on. And if you don't mind, I do want to just give a quick shout out, if that's all right. Oh, all good. All good. Uh, I just because I feel like we've talked. Uh, I got to talk about it a bit, but I really I do want to just give out uh, give a shout out to Zoo. Uh, I, I if I didn't if I didn't really drive it home, I want to make it very clear that Zoo is the the one reason that I was able to do what I did in the Smash scene. Uh, without whom I have no idea what my life would look like. So um, Zoo is an incredibly close friend of mine still to this day, despite the fact that I'm not as active in Melee, um, has been highly influential in the person that I've become, the things that I've been able to do. Uh, so just shout outs to Zoo. I wish he still played. I love that he casts. He's great. He's a genius. He's a beast at Melee and an incredible guy. So shout out to Zoo. Is this a Twitter clip, by the way? Should I tag Zoo? No, I'm not going to tag Zoo. But is this the Twitter clip? Because I feel like that is potentially just like an aw Twitter clip. Well, I don't know if Zoo's been on this before, but if he hasn't, he should be on here. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. Yes, well, uh, the, I wanted to say one more thing. What was it about? Oh, yes, you should watch MKLeo versus Spargo. Kony and Zoo commentated, and this happened last weekend, so I'll send you the video afterwards. But yes, one more time. Bob Smash Mountain, the whole thing is done. Nick, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jesse.